think Jesus is the light and the way in. They don't care what our Lord sacrificed, they just rationalize with science like the Antichrist. But you just grab them and you send them here. I'm gonna put a little knowledge in their ears. And they might have been Darwin devotees, but now they're down in the cathedral praying on their knees. Cause they were only godless sinners till they met me. Hello, and welcome to Cast and Wax, the only official podcast of Waxwork.com. I am your host, Jordan D. White. Now, you may notice that I sound a little bit different than usual. Well, you remember last week, how we all had colds? Well, they got worse. Now, we've lost our voices, sound completely awful, and the only options were either not do a show at all, do a show, that sounded awful, or use the magic of technology to replace our voices with these amazing computer-generated voices you hear before you. Yeah, what a great idea. It is a great idea, Frank. I think it sounds really cool. Sure. This is my first co-host, Mr. Frank Allen. Yes, hello, my name is Frank Allen. I am a professional radio host. This. This is really weird. Now, in case anyone out there in the radio industry is listening, let me just say that this was not my idea. I usually host things with my real voice, and not some, uh, some weird computer thing. So, if you were thinking about hiring me, I just want to let you know that- Okay, Frank, okay. We get the idea. Moving on, here is my second host, Mr. Rory Sinjin. Hello there, everyone. Yes, my name is Rory Sinjin, and I am, of course, an historian working at the Brooklyn Institute for Extra Historical Studies. In addition, I am an historian to the stars, doing extra historical readings for anyone who can afford the costly but beneficial service. Beneficial? Easy now, Frank. Anyway, Rory, it must be quite a hit to you, financially, to not be able to do your readings now, without your voice. I mean, Frank can still stock shelves without a voice, and I still read comics and do email at Marvel like this. Phew, you must be out of luck. Yes, I have had to stop doing readings, temporarily, temporarily of course. I am able to continue much of my research at the Institute, though, which is nice. I must admit, I have given it a bit of short shrift since beginning the readings, so this has helped me catch up on some things. But your, do you know, your client must be getting restless. Do you worry that they're going to go to another extra historian while you're out of commission? Not really, no. It's a very small industry, so we all know each other. If word got out that someone was poaching another extra historian's clients, so to speak, it would be the end of that person in the industry. They would be drummed out. Interesting. I didn't know it was such a tight net group. Oh, yes, absolutely. Okay, cool. Anyway, moving on to our final co-host, we have my little gray cat, Scapey. Hello, Scape. Hello, Dad. Hello, everyone. My name is Scapey. I am a cat, as you know. Dad is typing this for me, since I don't have, you know, fingers. Yes, yes, I am. So, how has losing your voice affected you, Mr. Scapey? We've already established that you don't have a job, so... Yeah, no job. Jobs are stupid. Stee you. It's been really yame having no voice, cause it means I can't sing, and I yup to sing, as you know. 
and I have a really good voice, so it's, yuck, yame for everyone else, too. Haha, <laughs> that's really sad. Haha. <laughs> uh, why are you yaffing? Ha ha ha, no reason. Ha ha ha. What's so funny? I wasn't telling a joke. Ha ha ha. Hey, wait a second. Dad, are you making the computer do my speech impediment? No. No, of course not. I would never. Really? Okay, maybe a little. Uh, you know? Dad, that's not very nice. Oh, come on, Scapy. How else will people know it's you? Because I'll be done one saying all the best things. That's how. You don't have to make me sound all wooed. They'll know because I'm talking about keywing birds and things. Cat things. Sweeping a yacht. Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. You're still doing it, aren't you, Dad? Yeah, but look at it this way. Since I'm typing I could have you say whatever I wanted. I don't even have to put what you say. Yike what? Well. Yike. Heyo. Dad. This is Scapey, and I promise to be a good boy forever and never bother my sister or steal her moist food. In fact, you can give her my moist food from now on. What? No. I would never say that. See? So just be happy with what you have. Okay, Dad, I am completely satisfied by that and we will stop arguing now. Hey, cut it out, Dad. Alright, alright. Anyway, moving on, we have a really great show for you today. We've got three serials, Guard Duty, Decker, and Hayes, and Epic Echoes, plus This Day in History and Where Are They Now in History with Rory Sinchin, and an all-new bit from Mr. Frank Helen. Correct? Yes, that is correct. Alright, excellent. So, let's get to our first serial. First up is Guard Duty. We've now met every member of the Earth Guard, and things are progressing nicely in Series 2, I think. We've been hearing rumors from this magazine called The Password hinting that Peace Blossom is gay, and meanwhile, there have been multiple attacks by the Mollusk, attacking the country with armies of sea creatures, giant squid, and crabs among other things. And featuring some excellent news reporting by me. That's fake news reporting, you mean? Well, but it was excellent was my point. Yes, Frank, you did do a very excellent job. Anyway, this episode features Mr. Fahrenheit and Ocean Man. Ocean Man, you'll remember, is called the King of the Ocean World, which most people think means he is King of Atlantis. In reality, that's just a lie he's been playing along with for years. He's really just a normal guy who turns into water. Could you drink him? What? If he turned into water, could you drink him? Well, I guess, yes. I mean, you can't drink water, so, sure. Then what if he turned back into himself after that? Would you have his, like, finger in your stomach? Or, if he waited until it was in your bloodstream, he could kill you, blocking blood flow. I don't know. I mean, he doesn't ever do that. But he could, right? No, no. Maybe he can only turn back human if he's all together. But then you could make him never turn human by just taking a little piece of him away. How could he possibly avoid it happening all the time? I don't know. Maybe, maybe he can turn himself back human using any water that he is touching. So he can control all water. But if he shoots his arm at you, say, he'd need some water nearby to reform his arm afterward. Okay, that makes sense. Good. Can I start the show now? Yeah, yeah. No need to get snippy. To be fair, I think we were giving him guff. Okay. Well... Go ahead. You may proceed.
Thank you. Scapy, may I proceed? Of course, Father dear, and I am ashamed that I ever interrupted your glorious introduction with my silly and unimportant question. Pray continue, and I shall sit here in obedience, your ever faithful son. Hey! Dad, stop that! You are a poop oh, poop-headed poop! Ha ha ha! Alright, let's get to guard duty, starting right now. Enjoy! The Earth Guard. The planet's most powerful heroes united in the common goal of protecting the innocent people of planet Earth and defending them from threats of all kinds. From the Guard Tower, their base of operations, they watch over the citizens and spring into action at any sign of danger. To that end, the Guard takes shifts monitoring events all over the globe. Sooner or later, they all have to take a shift of Guard Duty. This week, Ocean Man and Mr. Fahrenheit in Winding Up. We can play whatever you want. Play Texas Hold'em? Poker? Um, no, I'm afraid I don't have any of your surface currency. Uh, okay. I'd offer to play for whatever you've got, but I'd probably end up winning your whole city. Don't even really like to swim. Uh, cribbage? No, no, forget it. No board. Whist? Was it? No, I suppose we'd need four for that. Unless we play German rules. I have no idea what you're talking about. How about gin? I prefer rummy. Rummy 500 it is. So where you been lately? We've been fighting the mollusk recently. You used a little, uh, water power. <clears throat> My duties as, uh, king of the ocean world have kept me quite busy, I'm afraid. The son of the Orkin king, uh, Prince Calabar, well, he calls himself King Calabar now, of course, I mean, anyway, uh, you know, semantics, really. I mean, he vowed revenge after I decapitated his father. And then he sent a number of assassins recently into the city to seek out my life. Of course, since we annexed the Orkin territory, Atlantis has had eh, quite a few of their type uh, roaming around the city, you know, getting policy in order, bringing taxes into our treasury, that sort of thing. So we never suspected these particular Orkins of uh, doing anything wrong. Uh-huh. Uh, so they tried to kill you? Yes. If not for General Mantris rushing in with intelligence on them at the last minute, they, they might have even caught me off guard. Um, uh, I'm out. What? You're out? Jesus. That puts me at goddamn negative 60. I'm at 85. Your deal. So, as it was, anyway, my, my head minister, uh, Aglan Karumpha, was, was killed by the scum. The assassins, you see. He, he jumped on one as it lunged for me and took a, a bodkin right in the gut protecting me. I'll take that queen. Thank you very much. So, as I... As I'm sure you can guess, it was uh, quite a big deal, politically speaking. Taking out a high-ranking government official can not obviously be tolerated. So we spent the rest of the day scouring the city for the remaining assassins. And once we found them, we uh, killed them on the spot. No judge, no jury, no trial, just... <laughs> slit throats and, uh, shark bait. <laughs> Aces! You total bastard. Huh? Oh, oh, sorry. Uh, that was all, uh, three, three, yeah, three days ago when, uh, Mollusk popped up in New York. <clears throat> I mean, uh, New York. 
Next day, we held a state funeral for Minister Karumpha, and it was a large affair, you know. All the heads of state were there from the from the branches of the, uh, uh, the Atlantean government, the entire cabinet, uh, paying respects to old Aglan. I mean, he'd been my head minister for years, you see. To be honest, I, I don't know how I'm going to rule without him. Yes! Exactly the seven I was looking for. Take a look at this run. Five, six, seven, eight, nine. <laughs> um... Uh, so, did you appoint a, uh, a new, a new head guy? Well, uh, I've been delivering on possible appointments. To be honest with you, I'm a, I'm a little torn between appointing General Mantras or going with Prefect Calivar. I mean, on one hand, I, I guess I would trust Mantras above all the others, but on the other hand, I'd, I'd hate to lose him as the General of the Atlantean Fleet. Calivar has proven himself to be good to his people and, and truly care about their needs, which is definitely a quality I would want in a head minister, but... Calvar? Calvar, isn't he the guy you said was killing you? I mean, trying to kill you? Whale guy, the orkin? You know. Uh, uh, did, did, I, did I say Calvar? Well, <clears throat> yes, actually, uh, yes, Calvar is, well... Well, Calvar is a name that, um, the, the, the prince, the, uh, the orkin is, is Cal... Cal- Calvar, uh, Masalika, uh, whereas the prefect is, is Hausen, uh, Calvar. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can, I can see where your confusion would arise, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna appoint a leader of an upstart rebellious faction as my head minister, obviously. I mean, that wouldn't be foolish. You jerk! The queen? The queen of spades? I've been waiting for that since the first freaking round. Jesus Christ! So, 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 so no, I mean, the, the choice between Mantris and the Prefect Calivar is, is quite different from the supposed King Calivar. I mean, both have their pluses and minuses, and so I have yet to decide. Any thoughts? Hold on. I'm trying freaking three cards left. You're probably going to... All right, um, let's see if you can do anything with the Eight of Hearts. Actually, I can. I'm out. <laughs> Fine. At least I'm positive this hand. I've got 20, 25, 30. 30 lousy points. And I've got 120. Give me the cards. This time, I'm going to shuffle them for real. I already shuffled them. Yeah, but if you shuffle them a certain number of times, you can get them back the way they started in the first place. Then wouldn't the second hand have been the same as the first? Forget it. It's fine. They're shuffled now, okay? Let's play. Uh, okay. Yes. Yes, of course he's going to take the king on the top. Hmm. My turn? Um, I'll draw, thanks. Uh, keep your four. Anyway, yesterday, when Stallion was leading that search for the mollusk, as you were saying, uh, I was out um, leading uh, a search of my own down below, yes, uh, to find to find Calivar. Uh, that, that is, the bad Calivar. You know, Calvar Mo- Mo- Musalika, that is. Uh, 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 trying to pull out that Orkin Rebellion by the roots this time, man. Uh, you know, you don't just chop off the head. You you have to burn the body afterwards, kind of thing. How do you burn something underwater? It was, it, <clears throat> it was a metaphor. Uh, I mean, we're going to take out all of Calvar's followers as well, is what I meant. You know, uh, wipe out any chance of reprisal. Uh, we're not interested in starting an ongoing feud with the... Uh, the O-R-A, the Aura here. We want to finish this once and for all. So, at, uh, yeah, and, and at any rate, uh, that's where I've been. To be honest, I even tried to get out of guard duty today. But, you know, everybody seems to be busy with one thing or another, so I, I left the search in General Mantris's capable hands. 
But still, I look forward to getting back to my people. Mollusker now. Oh, I can't say I blame you there. Mollusker's always creeped me out. <laughs> Alright, take a look at these. Four jacks. Bam! And you can take my four, if you want it. Mm, no thanks. The mollusk scares you? <laughs> what? <laughs> no, I mean, he doesn't scare me. I just think he's creepy. I mean, he never speaks except that weird shrieky sound. Mm. What does he want? Why does he keep attacking us? Mm. At least with most of our villains, we know what they want, you know? Creationist wants to prove the existence of God scientifically. The Sysops wants to control the world by controlling all technology. Lady Luna wants to be recognized as Queen of the Moon for some reason. Then there are the normal ones like a tractor, or goblin girl, or gas mask. You just do it for the money. I can understand what they're about. They... Oh, sure, fine. You get the King of Hearts. Why do you even bother playing this game? Sorry. Anyway, yeah, I know where they're at, you know? They do their thing for their reasons. Stop them whenever I can, which is most of the time. But the mollusk pops up whenever. No real pattern we can see. Taxes in some weird new way. And why? No idea. We don't even know if he's human. Doesn't really look human. No, not really. To be honest with you, why don't you know something about the guy? I mean, you're the king of the ocean world, and he comes from the ocean. Shouldn't you have some sort of dossier on the jerk? Oh, oh, oh come on now. There's twice as much ocean as there is land on this planet. You, you can't expect me to have tabs on, on every single thing that goes on under the water. I mean, clearly, uh, obviously the mollusk is smart enough to stay clear of the Atlantean patrols. Nice job there, your highness. Uh, how many boats have, have, have you humans and superhumans sail around the world, and, and yet you have no pictures of mermaids, even though they must keep close to the surface in order to take the occasional breath of air? <laughs> Hold on there, tuna fish. Mermaids? Mermaids are real? Well, yes, of course they are. They are valuable members of my kingdom. Okay, that's it. You've got to introduce me. <clears throat> if I must remind you, I am sworn to keep Atlantis free of surface influence. I cannot bring you... Atlantis Schmatlantis. I don't care two bits about the stupid city. I want the mermaids. You just said they stick close to the surface. Let me ask you this. Do they really swim around topless? Or do they have uh, stupid little shell bras? Because I've got to tell you, shell bras sort of sound like BS to me. Either way, are they... Uh, are they compatible with, uh, human men? You know, sexually. On the one hand, their bottom halves are fish, right? But I figure... <clears throat> Mr. Fahrenheit, I am not introducing you to any of the mermaids in Atlantis. I have a sworn duty and obligation to protect the, all the peoples of the undersea world from contamination by the surface world. The people there, down there, depend on me. I am their only insulation from the oppressive world up here. Now, if I could be done with your world entirely, I would. I would leap into the sea and never return. Unfortunately, the only way I can ensure that we continue our lives unmolested down there is by serving on your stupid little Earth card here. Now, it's nothing personal against you or the other members of the Earth Guard. I enjoy being a part of it, and, and you seem like a fine man, but I wouldn't bring the most noble person among you down into my world for any reason at all. Besides, mermaids kill any surface men they seduce. Everyone knows that. <laughs> It'd totally be worth it. It's your turn. You don't have to lecture me, you know. A simple no would have been fine. <laughs> Jeez, you sound like my wife. You're married? A mermaid is worth it, okay? Oh, you're gonna pick up that many cards, eh? I have only three left, you know. Um, four, five, queen, jack, ten, nines of clubs, 
I'm out. I don't even play these stupid games. This is ridiculous. This is worse than playing with the jack. I got 140. How about you? 10. 10, okay? I got 10. Well, that's what you get for holding on to those aces like that. Yeah, yeah, I know. Thanks. I don't know how to play cards anyway, Mr. No Contamination. I... I read about them one time and in a book. Yeah, sure. Just shuffle. Actually, wait. Let me ask you something. Picture this. There was a tidal wave, right? Mm-hmm. And I was able to freeze it, but slowly so it doesn't... It seems Boulder is on a rampage through South Dakota and appears to be headed straight for Mount Rushmore. Okay, we're going to get this one fast. I'm heading for the horse. Alert the others. No problem, baby. Attention, Earth Guard. Boulder is about to crash into Mount Rushmore, and we need all available units to head out to South Dakota to stop him. Mr. Fahrenheit are already on our way, but we could definitely use some backup. Ocean Man out. We'll be having an exclusive first look into the next day's issue of The Password in our interview with Ron Riley. The new password will have a shocking telepathic interview with the mollusk, and Riley promises it to reveal quite a bit in this interview. That's tomorrow here on Newsnet. We'll be back in a moment. Oh, sh- Guard Duty by Jordan D. White with Michael D. Mikowski as the narrator, Scott Finbo as Ocean Man, Elijah Weberman as Mr. Fahrenheit, and Frank Allen as the newscaster, with theme song by Michael D. Mikowski. Excellent, excellent. I hope everyone enjoyed that episode of Guard Duty. I know I did. Now, let's see what's next today. Ah, it looks like it's just about time for Rory's Sinjin section of the show. What say you, Rory? Yes, that would be marvelous. Absolutely. Now, again, I too will apologize for having lost my voice. As you will soon hear, it did result in my having to use this. This electronic voice to do this week's historical research. I hope you will forgive me, but perhaps the valuable lesson you will learn from this segment will help make up for the oddities of the technical production, no? Perhaps, perhaps. We shall see. I doubt it. Frank. Behave. Go ahead, sir. Thank you. Hello, my name is Roy Sinjin. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. Back on June 16th, 1963, aboard Vostok 6, Soviet cosmonaut Valentina Treshkova becomes the first woman to travel in space. After 48 orbits and 71 hours, she returned to Earth, having spent more time in space than all U.S. astronauts combined to that date. Oh, that was very refreshing, and doesn't sound Russian at all, because I can't do that. Valentina, what in space has turned you Irish? Clearly from being so 
so long out in the, the woods or space, if you will. I've been drastically altered by cosmic rays. Ah, it's too bad the Russian spaceship can only go as far as woods nearby. Perhaps she suffers from rare Irish tick disease. Yes, it's possible. Let us talk at Cosmodot Space Center about tick disease of Irish woods. Sounds good. There's nothing wrong with me. I've always talked like this. Stop being preposterous. Let's go drink vodka. Didn't she also used to be a woman? Yes, this I remember well. Let us look for space bugs on her body. Oh, stop touching me. Behave. We've just met. <laughs> yes, in fact, she had caught a space bug, had been bitten by a space tick, and was going mad from space Lyme disease. You may not go into space yourself, but when you go into the woods, you should check for our earthen ticks, because they can give you real Lyme disease. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. But we're not out of the woods yet. My name's Rory Sinjin on Kasten Waxwith. Where are they now? In history. If that harrowing tale of space Lyme disease did not show you, just wait. There is more. The Russian astronauts began checking the so-called woman for space ticks, but before they were able to complete the examination, the space Lyme disease went into full effect. She turned green and enormous, and smashed them into goo. She then went on a rampage and smashed the entire Russian version of NASA whatever it was called into smithereens as she worked her way across the Russian countryside, killing everything in her path. Humanity got lucky, for a clever Lyme merchant named Smartikov recognized her symptoms and began pelting her with limes, the only cure for space Lyme disease and the root of its name. Unlike Earth Lyme disease, named for the Connecticut town of Lyme, where it once famously broke out. Even so, I think the lesson is still applicable to you and your daily life, even if that cure will absolutely, 100% not work for you. Anyway, if only the Russian astronaut woman had checked for space ticks, then half of Russia would not have been killed, and communism might have succeeded, but in a good way. Maybe. Which is why you should always check for Earth ticks, because you never know what form of government philosophy you might be letting fall by getting Lyme disease. This is Rory Sinjin with Where Are They Now? In History. On Cast and Wax. Thank you very much, Rory. That was very helpful and informative. Right, Frank? Uh, well, I guess. I mean, it doesn't really help us much, since we're in New York City and don't spend a lot of time in the woods. You could go into Central Park. Do they have Lyme disease-carrying ticks in Central Park? Ah, uh, well, in some universes, they do, yes. No, but I mean in this one. I am not 100% certain, but perhaps. Oh, very nice. Some historian. I beg your pardon, but I am quite the historian, I'll have you know. Oh, sure, absolutely, no doubt, but, Jordan, did you happen to notice? I'm sorry, I couldn't help but think that update was lifted from the Incredible Hulk. Well, yeah, I did notice a bit of a similarity to the Hulk, but I wasn't going to say anything. So, Rory, would you not say it was quite a coincidence that Jordan took us to an advanced screening of the new Hulk film and then... A week later, there is a Where Are They Now in History segment with a very Hulk-like plot. Alright, I see what you are trying to do, here, and no, it's not a coincidence. Because, yes, in some ways, it was influenced by the film. Oh, okay, so you're allowed to rip off movies in your line of work? Because in my line it's frowned upon. Really? In the supermarket field? No, in radio hosting. Look, I will try to explain it again, as best I can. There are an infinite number of universes. Infinite. Never ending. So, that means, even taking that universe from this day in history, with a space Lyme disease, there are an infinite number of universes branching off from that point. It's like the Dewey Decimal System. You can just keep slotting in an infinite number of new universes between the ones you already knew about. I think I get it. So, there's a universe where she built a suit of armor to help contain the Lyme disease, and began fighting terrorists with it. 
Well, sure, I suppose. And one where Lyme disease kills her parents, so she vows on their grave to never rest until Lyme disease is wiped out, and she dresses as a bat because Lyme disease is a cowardly and superstitious lot. Oh. Alright. Again, not a very elegant world, but yes, technically, one that exists. And there is one world where she gives me moist food. What? Moist food. To eat. Yummy and tasty. I suppose. So give it. Well, no, I'm not the woman with Lyme disease, so I don't have to give you moist food. But in some worlds, you do. Yes, but not this one. But it could. Well, it isn't. Oh. Okay. Anyway, moving on. Let's get to our next segment of the show which is Epic Echoes, the Backwards series. As you all know, every episode takes place before the previous one, so we recently heard Max Thornfield and the Flash Pack getting back together, then we heard the Flash Pack on their own, so now it's time for a Max Thornfield solo adventure. Here's a Midsummer Night's Day. Enjoy. Series, Episode 9, A Midsummer Night's Tea, by Lynn Nelson. Max Thornfield had just boarded the private space pod that Puck had sent to pick him up. He had been poured a cup of coffee by an electronic arm, and was now talking to Puck himself, live via satellite on the pod's monitor. I'm glad you decided to help me, Max. Well, I owe you one, I think. Besides, if what you say is true, then it's our fault that Rizidan is in trouble in the first place. Listen, don't be too hard on yourselves. You couldn't have known. Yeah, but we should have done more research before we sent them a gift like that. I thought Keen made sure she knew all their allergies, but I guess she missed this. Well, we shouldn't cry over it at this point. Hopefully we can get in, fix the situation, and let you get back to fighting your supervillains. Can I give you your official briefing? Go ahead. Okay. The Catmen are having an allergic reaction to- the Venusian curry we sent them. Yes. They're now vacationing in Rizidan and are shedding at a dangerous rate, which is causing allergic reactions in the Rizidanians. So we've caused a weird meta-allergic chain reaction? Right. The atmosphere is filled with cat hair, and people can barely breathe. They're dropping like flies. I've got an antihistamine solution that Molly put together. And I have a giant vacuum that Dr. Steloff sent me. First, we need to put your antihistamine solution into the water supply so that the cat men stop shedding, and the hair can settle a little. Then we send them home, evacuate the streets, and vacuum everything up. That seems reasonable. Then enjoy your coffee, and the scenery. It's a beautiful ride. I'll meet you at landing in a few days. Max sat back and sipped his coffee. He spent the next few days eating space food, watching TV, and sleeping. He watched stars and planets go by, and saw the sky turn brilliant colors. After a while, he recognized the swirly tan and white surface of Rizidan, something he'd seen in countless pictures, but had never witnessed up close. He leaned forward in his chair and watched the ground come at him slowly as he broke through the atmosphere of Rizidan. Puck's space pod flew him around mountains and over plateaus until it lighted on sandy ground in front of a small thatched roof house. As the awe of seeing a planet for the first time wore off, Max noticed that something was glaringly missing. 
he descended from the space pod and came face to face with Puck. Puck. Max. Hey, Puck. I can't help but notice Why that- don't you come inside for a cup of tea and I'll tell you all about it. Tell me what about all the dying people? Did you think I wouldn't notice the distinct lack of cat hair in the atmosphere? In fact, now that I think about it, I didn't see one cat man on the way in. You have to admit, you wouldn't have come if I'd asked you to do me a personal favor. You're damn right I wouldn't have. If you'll allow me to be on my way, Max, I'll just- Max, please, just hear me out. These are the actions of a desperate man, are they not? Would I have asked you to come across the galaxy if I didn't truly need something of you? I don't know, Puck. You tell me. I'm getting pretty tired of your tricks. Well, some tea can't hurt, can it? If you find my request unacceptable, you can leave. Is there a reason you're pumping me full of caffeine? Just being hospitable. <sighs> All right. You've got 20 minutes. And since when do you have a house on Risidon? I inherited it. Fair and square. You know what? I don't want to know. Puck led Max into his small, well-decorated house and poured some tea. Ooh. Oh, wow, this is good. What is it? Uh, just a mix I made. Some sencha and lemongrass leaves. Well, it's delightful. Thanks. So, tell me why I left my crew behind to chase non-existent catmen. When my father passed away, he left everything to my uncle, Lord Pierre de Vernay. That's French, right? Yeah. For green nose? Y yeah. I see. Anyway, the only thing he left me was a brooch of pure gold and topaz in which he had encased some of my late mother's soul. When she passed, he wore this brooch day and night, and he told me that it would someday be mine, so that I could remember my mother. Lord Greennose stole it from me, and I want it back. I have nothing to remember my parents by. And why is this my problem? You said yourself you owe me one. You're the best glamour caster I know, otherwise I'd ask someone else. Uh, would you help a poor orphan out? <sighs> What is this going to involve? Well, stealing, mostly. What else is new? I am to dine at my uncle's tonight, with you as my guest. You're a distant cousin from the Bible Belt galaxy, and you'll be spending the night. My aunt, Lady Caroline de Vernay, wears my mother's brooch every day without fail. She leaves it on her nightstand every night. At night, you will sneak into her room and cast a glamour on the brooch and take it from her nightstand. We will get a rock outside, you'll cast a glamour on that to make it look like the brooch. Then you'll sneak into one of my uncle's waiter's rooms and plant the fake brooch on him. You'll leave in the morning, having returned the brooch to me, and you'll never have to see me again. Why do I have a horrible feeling this is going to go wrong? How can it? It's foolproof! Well, let's get this over with. That night, Max found himself in elegant clothing borrowed from Puck, sitting at a long, fancy table with far too much food sitting right in front of him. He was salivating over the giant helpings sitting right on his plate, but Puck nudged him into being polite, and waiting for everyone else to be served. So, Monsieur Blunet, how are you finding your stay on Résidin? Oh, I'm having a wonderful time. It's a lovely planet you have here. <laughs> of course. Do you and my silly nephew grasp each other's presence often? Not often enough. It's been far too long, cousin. That it has. Please, everybody, tout le monde, eat, manger. This is a beautiful meal. Max turned his attention from the head of the table to its foot, where Caroline de Vernay sat, a buxom lady with a shimmering golden and yellow brooch at her breast lapel. Bon appétit. Bon, bon appétit. That night, Max snuck out of his room and down the hall. He stopped at the room that Puck had identified as the master bedroom and snuck in as quietly as possible. He slid around to the left side of the bed and felt on the nightstand for the brooch. He found nothing. 
As he squinted in the dark, he saw that the lord and lady had in fact fallen asleep in their clothing. He took a deep breath, reached over, and undid the brooch as gingerly as possible. As he lifted it with one hand, cast a glamour on it to make it look like a watch, and put it into his pocket, Lady Carolyn snuggled his hand against her breast in her sleep. At that moment, a hungry Lord Pierre woke up for a midnight snack to find Max molesting his wife. <sighs> it is time for... What in the world goes on in this house? You are no relative of man. Get it. Get out. Ma bonne chastité, you dirty naughty boy. Max jetted out of the house, quickly followed by Puck, who'd been listening from around the corner. I'll get him for you, uncle. As Puck approached Max, Max handed him the brooch, which was still under a glamour, and they ran quickly to Puck's house. They stopped outside the space pod, panting. You'll have to hold on to this for me. If they find it on me, they'll crucify me. I'll send for you soon. But where am I supposed to- There's no time. Lord Brownnose is on our trail. They'll probably be here any moment. I can't believe you almost got me killed. Seriously, no time. Aha! I have found you thieving me tweets. Puck! Puck fell to the ground, curling up. Puck, no, but you're a sprite, a fairy. But the body is dying, Max, and so is the spirit. Stay where you are, you sniveling stealer, so I can give you what for. <coughs> There's no time to argue. Take the brooch and get yourself out of <coughs> out of here. Max saw Lord Vernet coming at him with an old-fashioned shotgun, snatched the brooch from Puck, and hopped in the space pod. It took off, and soon Max saw the planet's tan and white surface disappearing behind him. He sighed, confused and sad, and decided to check in with the flash pack. He called them up on the monitor, and Keen answered. Max, it's great to hear from you. Is that Max? Hooray, he's alive! It's great to see both of you. How are things on your end? Totally sweet. We took care of all the big bad aliens without you here. In fact, you may want to consider taking a vacation. We're totally fine without you. I'll think about it, Slatter. Would you mind getting Molly? Can do. Be back in a flash. So everyone's okay? Really? We're fine, we're fine. You look a little frazzled, though. Nah, I'll be fine. At that moment, Molly ran into the room, followed by Slaughter. Alright, guys. It's been great talking to you, but I need to speak to Molly in private for a minute. I'll see you all soon. The rest of the flash pack bade goodbye to Max, and the room emptied. Hey there, Molly. Hi, Max. How are things on your end? Are you still off with Puck? Let's not talk about that right now. I heard you and the gang got into quite a pickle there. Molly blushed a deep shade of crimson. It was nothing. We got a meson emitter out of the wreck. Great. What's a meson emitter? Do I live with complete dunderheads? It's the device I've been trying to get my hands on that creates a field of static around the ship. Kind of like a cloaking device. It'll make the ship harder to find. Then congratulations to you. You gonna have that hyperdrive up and running by the time I get back? I'll do my best, Max. And I'll see you in your amazing hyperdrive in a couple days. Thornfield, out. Max heaved a big sigh, turned off the monitor, and leaned back. He pressed a few buttons and a mechanical arm gave him a hot cup of coffee. Without prompting, another mechanical arm came at him with a piece of paper in it. What? What in the galaxy is this? Max removed the piece of paper, opened it, and read. Dear Max, I never really knew how to tell you this, and while I realize this is something of a cop-out, I don't feel I have any other choice. This is my last possible magical act, and I feel that you need to know what the situation is. You see, Max, when a sprite and a woman love each other very much... Um, no, that's not right. Um, Max, your mother and I, well, we... we mated. And you were born. 
as a result. I am, in essence, your father. Uh, it was a night of passion, and your mother and I do not really love each other anymore. I've been too ashamed to tell you the truth. I have tried. Every time I've asked you to help me with something, I tried. The brooch you have actually belongs to your mother. I stole it from her years and years ago to trade for some information that, in retrospect, did me no good. Uh, somehow it made its way to my treacherous, murderous French uncle, and I knew it was my chance to get it back. I will not achieve final rest until this brooch is returned to her, and I can at least right this one wrong. I am leaving this in your hands. My sincerest apologies, and love always, your father. Will Max return the brooch to his mother? Who did the flashback have to battle with? What surprises will be awaiting Max when he returns? Find out in the next thrilling episode of Epic Echoes, Under the Maw. In that episode of Epic Echoes, Nivir Eckhart was the narrator. Nicholas Roach was Max Thornfield. Justin Hall was Huck. Daniel Schwartz was Lord Pierre. Lynn Nelson was Lady Caroline and Slaughter. Tom Wen Wong was King. And Devin White was Molly. The theme song was by Michael Temporary Karnikovsky. Thank you very much, Rory. A big secret was revealed there, the identity of Max Thornfield's father. Of course, since it's a backward series, the listeners already knew that, and now that it's been revealed, it can never be said again, since it's now a mystery. It's a confusing show, but fun to go along with. I'll take your word for it, Frank. Speaking of you, I understand you have something related to that episode for us today, correct? Yes, that is correct. For my Frank Allen interview this week, I interviewed an important character from that episode, Lady Caroline de Vernay. Oh, excellent. I look forward to learning more about her. Good, good. Unfortunately, like Rory, I had to use this preposterous computer talking thing to do the interview. And I was just using it for the first time, too, so it was a little rough, let's say. Well, I am sure we'll forgive any technical difficulties you have, right guys? I don't care. We'll see. Thanks for the support. Here's the interview. Frank Allen Interviews. Starring Frank Allen. Good evening and welcome to Frank Allen Interviews. My name is Frank Allen and I have on the phone with me a very special guest, Lady Caroline de Vertinez. Bonjour, Monsieur Allen. It is very nice to speak with you. It is Vernet, though. My name. I'm sorry, you sound... You sound different than you did in the episode. Yes, well, I'm afraid that I have come down with a cold, and have lost my voice. You've lost your voice? That is quite a coincidence. I've lost my voice as well. Well, lust is a vice, suppose. But I have lost my voice. From a cold. No, I meant. Grr, I hate this stupid computer. Anyway, it is a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for agreeing to speak with us. The pleasure is mine. So, I understand that you've been the victim of a crime recently. Can you tell us a bit about it? Eh, but... Monsieur, if you are joking about the serious crime against my family... No, 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 please, madam, I made no offers. It's this terrible computer thing. It takes all my works and mistakes them. I meant, tell us a bit about it, a bit, 
if you will. Yes, well, I understand. I have to use a very similar device. It was a double crime, really. My lying, thieving nephew-in-law paid us a visit with his cousin. I am no longer sure if it was really his cousin. But this imposter violated our person and stole a valuable possession of ours. What was stolen? My dignity and my brooch. You were? You were breached? In a manner of speaking, the husband, Lord Diverney, inherited a lovely brooch from his late sister, rest her soul. This horrible man took it from us. Oh, a brooch, I see. So, you know who stole the brooch? Not much of a mystery, then. Well, the husband's nephew claims to know him. I do not know who he is, or where he is. And I still do not have my brooch. Have the local police been any help? Oh, we cannot go to the police. But why? The police are there to help people. You understand. My nephew was caught up in this game. He accidentally became shot by my husband. On Residan, where we were vacationing, fairies are endangered. As this silly boy is one, it would be very bad if Siasorita is found out. Wait, wait. You shot your nephew? I did not. He helped to steal from us and brought this filthy boy into our house to violate me. Monsieur de Vernet chased him, shooting to scare him, and, well... So, your husband accidentally shot your nephew, trying to wear him. To scare him? We... Scare him? Yes. All right. Well, I suppose that doesn't sound too illegal, so I think it's all right. Anyway, I understand you wanted to make an announcement about a reward... Yes, indeed. Anyone who can tell us anything about the location of this young man who stole from us would be very helpful. You would be welcome to our vacation house on Residan for a month, as well as 5,000 American dollars, or the equivalent in your country or world. Anyone who can bring this man to us, dead or alive, may have our vacation house and staff permanently. Er, you do your financing in American dollars? I just assumed your listeners would mostly be American. They would want American money, yes. We have access to many banks on many planets, Monsieur Allen. Any currency will not be a problem. That makes sense. So, wait, hang on, you want him to be killed? It would not be favorable, but if someone had to detain him in Thieves Manor, I would still want him brought to me. Are you sure? Because it sounds as thought you're offering a reward for killing him. Just for his body. You only want his body killed? I'm offering a reward for his body. What happens to it on the way here, well, is not really up to me. But if they bring him back dead, and he does not have the brooch, you might never get it back. I'm not really interested in the brooch, Monsieur Allen. It was pretty, yes. But I have many jewels. It is the principle of the matter. The boy must be punished. I do not intend to do him physical harm. But he must be taught the error of his ways. But, but, this whole thing was started because you said it was a valuable Harry Lou. You said it was important to you. A valuable, what? Are you, are you mocking my husband? What? No, 
I didn't mean to say your husband was. No, that's not what I meant. I meant that if it's not important to get the jewel back, why not let the boy grope? Go. Why not let the boy go, I mean. Monsieur, I do not like your implications at all. It is very important that this boy learn proper manners toward his elders and relatives. And besides, perhaps there is some value to this silly jewel after all, all right. Please bring me the boy alive, if you would like the house to yourself. Thank you. You have the boy. What? No. Then why do you thank me? The house is not yours. Okay, fine. So, what can you tell us about this man, to give our listeners a bit of a bit of a head start? So far, there isn't much to go on. What did the man look like? What did he sound like? What color was his hair? His hair was clear, just like anyone else's. He was of medium height, and blonde. He had a nice set of muscles, if you ask me. I was quite surprised, when I awoke to him in my bedroom, as he gave me the impression that he was, well, a fairy, if you catch my drift. I still joke, that he was climbing over me to get to my husband. So, he was a homosexual? I am fairly certain. We French are decent spotting these things. But you implied that he violated you? As I said, I awoke to find his hand on my bosom. But you never know. Perhaps he was curious about women, or he truly was just trying to get to my husband. Very intestine-ing. All right, well, if anyone listening to this had any information as to the identity or the whereabouts of this man, they can contract us through Emily and we will forest it to Leighton Vertonez. Um, yes. We... Thank you very much. Okay, Wall, it was a pleasure having you on me shot, Lady Carloine. Caroline. And it was a pleasure being on your shot, Monsieur Allen. Thank you. The pleasure was all mine. Thank you again, and this has been another... Frank... Allen... Interview. I'm Frank Alien. Good night. Wonderful, very informative, and well done. Thanks, Frank. Or, Frank Alien, that is. Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha! Alright, alright. I do want to mention that when doing Where Are They Now in History, I was able to use the computer voice with no trouble on my first try. Well, you're a younger person, who probably uses computers a lot more than I do. Still, I just found it interesting. Or should I say, found it intestinal? Ha ha, very funny. Haha, <laughs> good, I am glad you can have a sense of humor about yourself, Frank. No, I was being sarcastic. Stupid computer voice. Oh. Sorry. Oh well. What I found interesting was that Lady Caroline had lost her voice, as well. Pretty big coincidence there. Sounds like she might be the same person as us as well. Oh, haha, very good. Good point. I guess she must be. No. You're supposed to. You're supposed to say no. It's just a coincidence. I don't know. You never know. It could be true. Why else would she lose her voice as well? Okay, this is stupid. She's obviously not you. She's a woman. Alright, if you say so. Anyway, let's go on to the final show of the episode, which is Decker and Hayes. This is our lesbian detective series following the exploits of Macy Hayes and Stella Decker, two PIs, who are also lovers. 
They were hired by Des Nichols to find out who killed her husband Jack, but the trail led them into a mystery of shattered plates and something concerning Macy's past with a man named Anthony Cross. Jack turned up not quite as dead as they thought. Tess was in league with Cross, and at the end of last episode, Macy arrived just in time to shoot Tess Nichols in the back as she kissed Stella while holding a knife. Pretty intense stuff, eh? Let's see what happens. Decker and Hayes, Episode 6, Crossing Off Names, by Daniel Schwartz. Parlor Town, with its bankrupt businesses, crumbling brownstones, and lost souls, it was a city on suicide watch. Times were hard, and hard times breed desperate men, people willing to do anything, steal, cheat, even kill, to protect themselves. Stella Decker and Macy Hayes had taken up detective work to pay their bills, and when Tess Nichols hired them to crack her husband's murder, it seemed like a routine job. Now, with Tess dead and her husband on the run, it seemed like it might be Decker and Hayes' last case. Baby, please. Can we talk about this? There's nothing to talk about, Stella. It's over. We're done. Where's that box? I, I didn't mean to, Macy. She was coming on to me. Yeah, and you put up such a fight, I'm sure. You've got to believe me. She was... She was trying to kill you, you stupid bitch! You were too busy sucking face to notice the knife in her hand. If I hadn't shot her, you'd be dead now. Don't you get that? God, you're worse than a man. Macy, honey, please calm down. No! I just shot somebody, Stella. I killed a client who was about to stab your stupid ass while you were making out with her. Like hell I'm going to calm down. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry too, Stella. I'm sorry you couldn't control yourself when some broad in a low-cut dress came in with a sob story. I'm sorry I couldn't stop you from being unfaithful without killing the competition. I'm sorry we couldn't have kept our relationship professional from the start. Macy had finished packing her things in a box. She picked it up and headed for the door. I'm sorry for lots of things. Oh God, Macy, please. I love you. I love you too, baby. But if I can't trust you, it doesn't mean a damn thing. Macy left without another word, letting the door slam shut behind her. Stella stumbled against the desk, falling to her knees with her head in her hands. Oh, God. Oh, God, what now? As if in answer, the phone began to ring. Stella wiped her eyes and, handshaking, picked up the phone. Decker. Stella Decker. Hey, Stella, you sound like crap. What's wrong? Uh, it's nothing, McGinnis. Just a bad day. It's about to get worse. There was a shooting at the Blue Diner. I know. My client got capped. That makes two of us. Stickler's an ICU at Cherry Street General. The diner owner? Took one in the chest. I need help and you're the best in town. You in? Stella looked around the office. Macy had overturned piles of paper and thrown a canister of pens on the floor. The room looked like a tornado had hit it, the same way her life felt. I'm in. See you there. Rhiannon Rose was curled up on her couch with Tommy Potsdam, secretary for Decker and Hayes. In front of them was a TV playing Pearl Harbor. Neither of them were paying attention. Tommy thought it was a pretty bad movie, and Rhiannon had heard enough about World War II from Paladin to not care anymore. Besides, they had better things to concentrate on. Either way, the phone's ringing was not a welcome interruption. Damn it! Don't believe it! Never fails. Always when you're busy. Tell me about it. I'll be back, okay, hon? Sure. I'll be here. Rhiannon walked over to the phone. She glanced at the caller ID, doing a double take as she recognized the number. She picked up the phone and moved into the kitchen, out of earshot of Tommy. This had better be important. Yes, I was with someone. You what? Acquired the target? What about... Oh, 
So that's what you need me for. Yeah, sure, I can do that. No, it's okay. It's my job, right? No, don't do that. I can take care of him. Yeah, you too. Rhiannon hung up the phone, the irritation gone from her face. She opened up the refrigerator and waited for Tommy to say, Everything okay, Rhea? Everything's fine, hon. I'm getting a beer. You want one? Sure. Rhiannon pulled two beers from the fridge, swinging it shut with her hip. She opened them both up, reached down a jar of pills, and dropped two into one of the bottles. After a moment's thought, she dropped in a third. Sorry, Tommy, but business is business. Say something, babe. Nothing, hon. I'll be out in a sec. Cherry Street General Hospital was understaffed and overtaxed. Doctors and nurses pulled 20-hour shifts for chump change, recommending treatments their patients couldn't afford and stealing the drugs they prescribed to sell on the street for rent money. It was where the poor came to die, and the rich never came at all. Stella avoided it when she could, and when she couldn't, she stepped lightly, as if the fluorescent-washed floors would suck her down like quicksand if she put her foot down too hard. McGinnis was already there, dressed in a surprisingly dapper pinstriped suit. You look sharp. What's with the suit? I was in the middle of a date when I got the call. Ah, your poor Prince Charming must have been so upset. Yeah, yeah, drop it. Let's go inside. To Stella, all hospitals smelled like death, and Cherry Street General doubly so. Her pace was quick and nervous as she kept up with her sometime rival. They found out that Stickler was being moved from ICU to a semi-private room. His wounds had been serious, but were stable now. An elevator and two desk nurses later. Hey, Mr. Stickler, how you holding up? <clears throat> Peachy. And so far, it only hurts when I breathe. What happened? I came into the back and found him trying to steal my plates. When I tried to call the cops, he shot me. Who did? Tony Cross. Who? Before Stickler could answer, a woman in a nurse's uniform came into the room. She was tall with a centerfold's body and was wheeling a tray of medical supplies in front of her. I'm sorry, sir, ma'am. Mr. Stickler needs to get some rest now. Suits me fine. I'll catch you later, Mr. S. The nurse drew a curtain around the bed as the two detectives left the room. As Stella shut the door, she almost thought she heard muffled protests from behind the curtain. Deciding it must just be her imagination, she turned to McGinnis. Listen, Julie, who's this cross guy? Wait a minute, look at that! He pointed at a television in a waiting room. On the screen was a news broadcaster, speaking in a Canada news anger voice. Behind him was a picture of a ratty-looking man and the caption, Dead Again. The man, Jack Nichols, has purportedly died in a shooting outside the Blue Diner. He was found only a few hours ago in the south tip with another set of fatal bullet wounds. Forensic experts indicate the gun used was licensed to private detective Mercedes Hayes, who remains at large. In other news, schools are closed throughout the greater Parlortown area tomorrow in anticipation of more than four feet of snow overnight. How do you kill a man more than twice? Macy shot him too? Why shoot a man for his plates? What the hell is going on here? Husband and wife with three deaths between them. Partners and lovers torn apart. A blizzard in the night. Rivals united by crisis. It seems that Stella Decker has little left to lose. Can she get to the bottom of it all? Our story continues next week in Decker and Hayes. Promises to keep. of Decker and Hayes. Daniel Schwartz was the narrator. Lynn Nelson was Macy Hayes. Angela Tymon was Stella Decker. Rich Bellin was Julian McGinnis. Devin White was Rhiannon Rose. Nicholas Roach was Tommy Potsdam. Sam Thomason was A.J. Stickler. 
and Frank Allen was the newscaster. The theme song was by Michael Temporary Kardnikovsky. Thank you very much, Rory, and that just about brings us to the end of the show. Oh, but I love the show so very much, and am always sorely disappointed whenever it is time for the program to end. What is me? Poor Scapy. I know how you feel. Dad, I didn't say that. You're a big stupid head. Hum, didn't someone say they wanted moist food? Um, actually, I really do love the show a yacht. So I am pretty sad when it ends. Rick, I cry a yacht. The only thing that could console me is some MF, I think. Okay, Scapy. I will give you MF after the show. Yeah. But now, it is just about time for the show to end. I'll be happy to be done with this stupid computer. Cheer up, Frank. Hopefully, next week we'll have our voices back, and you can go back to the Dark Ages again. Thank God. Alright, alright, I think it's worked out nicely, as a temporary solution to our problem. Yeah, right. See, you agreed? No, this thing. Arg. This thing really needs a sarcasm button. Well, it doesn't. So I assume you agree with me? Whatever. Anyway, you can hear in the background, Waxwork Theme Tea, which is called Till They Met Me. I hope you all have a good week, and feel better than we do. Thanks for listening, and until next time, be seeing you. The liberal women of the USA fought for their right to independence and to equal pay, but some of these women got in in their heads to forsake men and just take other women to their beds. So just bring them round and I'll make them sure just what a man and woman's bodies were created for, cause they might have They were only lesbians Till they met me Till they met me Yes, they were only lesbians Till they met me I'm gonna take them by the hand And I'll make all people understand Just be what we want you to be And just fall in line with society Why are you making such a fuss? We only want what's best for us And by us we mean all of us You surfed over to the Saturday Because an update email came your way And you clicked on Rhapsody and Wax And started downloading Jordan's tracks but you might be shocked with what you find you always thought Jordan had such an open mind and you might have been wax fans all along but I'm a betting that's changed now you heard this song cause you were only wax work readers till you heard me yes they were only lesbians till they met me yeah they were Sinners till they met me, till they met me. Yeah, they were only godless sinners till they met me. On the next episode of Cast in Wax, on guard duty, 
The Jack and the Stallion discuss the gossip magazine, The Password. A lot of people read this trash. I like knowing what type of nonsense I'm up against. It's hard work keeping myself so beloved by the public. Didn't they vote you most annoying superhero three years running? I thought you didn't read The Password. On Tract or Fiction, Ebenezer Scrooge discovers the spirit of Christmas and reggae. Dear Jesus, I do receive you, I do. Please save me, I believe you died for me on the cross. Please forgive me and own me wickedness. I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, man. Lord, you have set me free now. I feel clean and wonderful. On Epic Echoes, the Flash Pack splits up in order to escape their newfound foe. Without Fertress's spells, we'll need to get creative to escape from El Paso. Let's split up. Make it more difficult for them to track us. We'll meet back at Flashpoint. Flashpack! Flashback! All this plus a stay in history and a Frank Allen interview on the next episode of Cast in Wax, coming June 23rd to waxwork.com.